0: to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, church. Welcome to the third part of our series on heaven and if you've missed any part of the series, you have missed half your life. I'm just going to tell you that. We've had a riot here. And how many of y'all, just maybe quick show of hands, you learned something you never knew so far in this series. Like, what? Yeah. So we're, as I'm studying this, I'm learning things, guys. And this is encouraging. And I can see a real hunger in our church for the things of God with all of this. It's pretty cool. Um, the first week of the series, we talked about the value of us as Christians imagining heaven. The Bible says we need to set our eyes, our our hearts, if you will, on things above and that we need to begin to visualize the goodness of God in eternity. Last week, we talked about heaven. We opened up the conversation about heaven. We talked about how heaven has not always existed in the form that it's in today. It's changed before and it will change again. Now, buddy, that's mind-blowing, but if you missed any of it, go to newchapel.com slash watch, and you can track with any of our messages there. You can also subscribe to our podcast. Uh, Today is going to be pretty cool. This week, we're going to be attempting to paint a picture of heaven from Scripture itself, and I would encourage you, if you do have anything to take notes with, pull that out right now. If you're watching online, make sure to hit share on that. I can't think of a message that the world could couldn't use more than, than the message of eternity in heaven and faith in God. Um, I have been like in study like you wouldn't imagine. I mean, I have read so much of the Bible. This is like few series that I do. I can think of Decoding Revelation was like this, where I got to crack the books to make sure this is on point. But I want to give credit where it's due, and also I realize I'm not going to be able to get to all of the discussion on heaven. There's going to be volumes that we'd have to go through. We could have a whole church that talked about nothing but heaven. I think I grew up in that one, but, but here's what I'm talking about is uh, a couple book resources. The first one is written by Randy Alcorn, and it's called Heaven. It is a thick read. Uh, If this is something that you're still struggling with after the series, or maybe you got peace about it, but you want a record of some of these things and maybe go a little bit deeper, Uh, it's a thick one, but Heaven by Randy Elkhorn was great. Kathy, you talked about how great that was for you. Um, Life After Death by Tony Cook. That book is largely written to those people that recently lost a loved one, but it does have several really good chapters talking about heaven, and I shamelessly ripped a lot of it off. And then finally, by John Burke, the book Imagine Heaven. John Burke is a pastor, and he uh, documented in a real-deal study, a documented scientific study, people that had near-death experiences. Now, There are common things that people have saw, the tunnel, that many people have had life reviews when they get up there, some have saw angels, and there's a lot of common ground with all of that. You say, Pastor Joe, you believe in these near-death experiences? Look at me, yes. The Apostle Paul went to the third heaven, John the Apostle did it, and I don't think that it's limited to them because there's other men of God that weren't the apostles that, that went to heaven and had visions of all of this. Do you put the same weight on that that you would on the Bible? No. No one's asking you to go there, but it gives you some really good insight, and it's very interesting, those that have it. Some are rich. Some are poor. Black, white, every shade in between, buddy. Every demographic you could imagine. Business people, atheists, all the way to your evangelical Christians and those in the Orthodox Church who had visions of heaven. It's an amazing thing. I think it would really encourage you. Really, I would trust anything from them. And then finally, I really weighed out whether or not to share this one, but I believe in this type of thing. It's a book by a man named Jesse Duplantis, and it's called Close Encounters of the God Kind. Uh, Again, I believe that he had a vision of heaven, and I think that it's credible. He didn't build his ministry based on that. You say, well, Pastor, I don't like him. Well, A, you don't like to laugh, and then B... (laughs) I'm not asking you to go down that road. The first two resources, are, it's untenable to come against them. The other two are very interesting, and these are people that are men of God that didn't build their ministries on it. God could have brought it to anybody, and he brought it to somebody who couldn't care more and couldn't care less. They had nothing to gain by coming out with this. I like that. Okay, with that being said, today will be a lot of scriptures. I'm not going to put all of them on the screen. You can't take that anymore. Okay, so I'm going to cite many of them, and I just ask you, give me the credit for that. You go home and study them, be like the Bereans in the Bible. Without further ado, let's jump in. Heaven is depicted as a city of the righteous in the Bible. We talked a little bit about that last week. Galatians 4:25 through 26 and Hebrews 11:22 talk about that, but the greatest picture that we get in the Bible of the heavenly city is in Revelation chapter 21. If you'd be so kind to turn there if you have a Bible, Revelation chapter 21. And one of the first things I want to let you know is uh, debunking a little bit of the myth about heaven. St. Peter is not waiting for you at the pearly gates. I just want to pop that balloon right off the bat. Uh, It's not that he can't go there or that he hasn't passed by, but... Uh, the idea that St. Peter is up at the gates and that he's the one that is like the bouncer of heaven, approving who gets in and gets out, you, you can't find that in the Bible. That's loosely based on scriptures talking about Christians having the keys to the kingdom or binding and loosing, things like that, but uh, he, he's not the one. In fact, I saw this cartoon. Maybe you've seen something like this before. It looks like all that we have is a fixer-upper right? Like, it's all of those ironic jokes about St. Peter, like, barring people out. And the truth of the matter is, the qualifier for heaven is your response to Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? And so, at the same time, though, there are pearly gates in heaven. Let me read it for you, Revelation 21, 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. Now, remember, this heavenly city is 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, and so it has three gates on each side of it, and it has gates with all of it. Pretty wild stuff. Verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Talking about Jesus. The city does not need the sun nor the moon to shine, for the glory of God gives it light. The nations will walk by its light. Well, Pastor Joe, last week you said there was a temple in heaven. In heaven right now, there is a temple. It's the temple that Jesus went and presented his blood to. But when there's a new heaven and a new earth, in this chapter, when John sees it, there's no more temple in heaven. In other words, when Jesus said it is finished, this is the final ratification of all of that. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Now, in this chapter, I'm not gonna read it, but you'll you'll read about streets of pure gold that are transparent is glass. That's a pretty amazing word picture, isn't it? And, and I've been asked before, Pastor Joe, is that? Is that literal, or is that symbolic? And I've got the answer for. You ready? Yes. <laughs> just like your wedding ring, you'd be like, "I'm married." And in the same way you could say, "Well, it's just a symbol. right. And so there are things that are true. Don't try to dig into symbolism that isn't there. If the Bible says there's streets of gold and they're transparent, there's gold streets and they're transparent. Is that also symbolic of the purity of the... Yeah, don't confuse yourself. Truly, there are streets of gold literally in heaven. Uh, Verse 25 in Revelation 21. On no day will its gates ever be shut. Everybody say the word gates. For there will be no night there. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I was talking to my buddy after church last week, and uh, he, uh, he and I kind of play tennis back and forth. We like to go deep with some of these things and geek out about theology. And he said, I got one for you. Why are there gates in heaven? Yeah. And so that's a good question, isn't it? And when I don't know, what do I say? I don't know. I'm going to look it up. I feel like I have a really good answer for that, and that is this. In your Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, in the holy city, the gates, yes, were for protection in that context, but they were also gates. That's where the judges would be and make legal decisions. Business leaders would be there to have business uh, conducted in that particular spot. It also was a social spot within the community. And if that wasn't enough... I believe on studying this, I saw that the primary reason why the heavenly city has gates is for order. Very, very important. Order, even in heaven. We think that if it's going to be heaven, it's got to be free, and we're all going to be like hippies braiding our hair in a field. But the reality is that God doesn't like that. And so, so the reality is God is a God of order. You're in this heavenly city. Understand, for those of us that are Christians in the room, whether you die and you're resurrected or whether we're raptured all at once and we meet Jesus in the sky, we are going to be people that occupy the holy city. You're going to have a yard. You're going to have a house there in the city, much less you might have a country house or several all over the world, but in the holy city. So think about it. If I'm coming up to the city, God's not going to have you walk in through somebody's backyard. We know that there's streets. We know that there's, a ri- there's order to all of it, and God respects boundaries. I don't know why we get the idea that God is against boundaries. Let me read for you uh, Ezekiel 47, some pieces of it. And by the way, for my fellow geeks in the room, if you'd like to read a little bit more, Ezekiel 47, the prophet is prophesying about Israel in Jerusalem, but prophetically talking about heaven. And when he does it, he says this in Ezekiel 47, 21. Divide the land within these boundaries among the tribes. Distribute the land as an allotment for yourselves and for foreigners. They'll be like families among you. They'll be like native-born Israelites to you when you receive your allotment. God is a God of borders and boundaries, and God will respect your borders and your boundaries. Isn't that an amazing thing? Um, I want to show you this in two scriptures, 1 Corinthians 14. The Bible says that God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people, past, present, and future. And then check this out, Revelation 21. The city, the heavenly city, is laid out like a square. How many of y'all been to a city before that operates under the grid system? They have a grid system okay? How much did you hate Grand Rapids when it's got the hub and spoke and curly cues going around it, and we have an east belt line here, but psych, there's not a west belt line, you know, and all these different things. I'm happy to tell you that the engineers are apparently born again and baptized because the city of God is laid out like a square. Glory! Find my way, 28th, 44th, why wouldn't it be 48th? Anyway, praise God, not that I'm angry, but it's orderly. You're going to come in and gates. There's a grid system going on. This is not just, just just thrown together modge podge, everybody. And so God is a person that respects borders and boundaries. Pastor Brian and I put up some signs. Uh, I think it was either latter part of last year, early part of this year, uh, all over our parking lot. Maybe you've seen them. It's basically saying, no loitering or we'll tow you. And we had a ton of people because mainly this is a Sunday gig, Right? During the week, they would come and take their lunch breaks here, cigarette breaks or whatever it would be. And we kind of let it go. But, I mean, they just roll down their window, take their Burger King and go, what? You know, and just flicking cigarette butts, the whole deal. And so I said, look, we're opening up this daycare. We want this to be a family campus. And, and we're killing ourselves, cleaning up after everybody. So we put the signs up. And then Pastor Brian and I, we said, let's pick a fight. For the next two weeks, anybody comes on, we'll get them. Whatever we're doing, we'll go get them. And we were so kind. I mean, little preacher boys going up there saying, hi, praise God, you know. And, and uh, you might have been doing this for years before we owned this, but we're just going to ask you from now on to not take your break here. And this is going to be a, a school campus. And, 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 and you understand, most people just went along with it had a couple people we had asked a couple times there's one lady that works at the nurse home across the street as many times as we say she'd go okay and she will be here the next day okay she could care less what i say hope you watch this (laughs) and answer to god anyway so but there was one guy one day and this was months and months after and i went out there i said brian come here we're gonna get him and went out there, and I said, hey, buddy, listen, and he was eating his food or whatever. I said, you can finish your meal. I don't need you to leave right away. That's not my battle. But just in the future, we're going to ask that you not take your breaks here. He said, oh, all right. He kind of grumbled at us. And, and uh, he starts to back out with all this food. I said, no, you can say, No, I'm getting out of here. And as he's backed away just enough to pull away with no accountability, he says, that's not very Christian-like. I went after the car, put my hand over the window. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. God's not a God of disorder, but of peace. He respects borders and boundaries. And he looked at me like he understood what I was saying, but he didn't like hearing it from me. As he pulled away, I saw a bumper sticker on his car that should have said that he understood walls, but I don't know anyway. Praise God. The walls of heaven are 216 feet thick. 216 feet thick. There's 12 foundation stones on which the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb are written. The walls are made out of jasper. The foundation stones of the wall are inlaid with 12 different types of precious gems. Heaven is going to be fabulous. Eternity features beautiful landscapes. Write that down. It's not going to be on the screen, but uh, heaven, the new heaven, new earth, is going to have beautiful, beautiful landscapes in all. Verse 9 of Revelation 21 One of the seven angels carried the apostle John to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, and it shone with the glory of God. Now, when I read this, it occurred to me, this is the the back-to-the-future scripture of the Bible, okay? Wrap your minds around this. When we're in that heavenly city and we're descending down onto earth, we're going to look over at a mountain and be like, is that John? right? He's rating all this stuff because he was translated. That's what we're like, John's rating it. Don't touch him. We'll mess everything up and you'll marry your grandma or something like, you know, like don't, don't even look at him. But, but not my message, but um, the Bible says that John was taken to a great high mountain. Oh, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Getting up to a mountain to get a better view with all of this. Uh, people have asked before, will heaven be like earth with real things? And I think that that's funny because the spiritual created the natural. We think this is so real, but the the more superior thing would be God. God is the creator over the create. I mean, that's more tangible and physical. And so, of course, uh, but let me answer that in in a way you might relate. Uh, This weekend, me and my boys went and saw the blockbuster hit Ghostbusters. No less than twice within 24 hours. Uh, we are serious fans. My boys were wearing their jumpers. I had my jacket on. I was Spangler. It was awesome. And, and the second time that I told them, hey, do you guys want to go to the theater on Saturday? They're like, oh my gosh, you know, they're flipping out, jumping up and down as if they think I don't know how to have fun. They think, I don't know what fun is, and they know what fun is. And I'm thinking, "Son, I used to stay up all night with your mother to watch the sunrise, and I know how to have a good time, I can have a riot, we can, we can have a party, and they think, I don't know how to have fun. How does God feel about us? We're like, "Is it going to be good? Is it going to be good? You don't know. He made this in six days. The Bible says, behold, I go to make a place for you. For the last 2,000-some years, God's been making a place for you. What? So which is more real, the creator or the creation? Listen, heaven is more real than earth. Your perception of this world, not to go matrix on you, is very limited compared to what you will perceive heaven to be. And the best way that I could think of to articulate this is, is is this way. Write it down. The new earth is very earthy. It's very very earthy. Imagine mountains and lakes and rivers and streams. And forests, big forests, massive forests, and, and, and a fragrance when you get in there, you smell the pine, and, and, and you'll smell things that are just, oh my gosh, it smells so good, and, and flowers all over there. And, and you'll see things that you've seen before, but check this, you'll see things that you have never seen before it would stand to reason, right, that you're going to see physical human beings and you're going to see real animals and vegetation and natural resources. But listen, you should expect to see new trees and new flowers and new mountains and new rocks and rivers and mountain ranges and new animals. And I would even say this, new and non You're going to see animals that were extinct long before you were born, and you're going to see animals and creatures that were in heaven that had never been on earth before. It will blow your mind, buddy. But one of the biggest scriptures that I see that that trouble people when they think about heaven is in Revelation 21, and it really troubles a lot of the people that like to fish and do sports like that. But let me read it for you. It's in Revelation 21, verses 1. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the sea was also gone. I saw the holy city coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Well, a point before we start talking about the sea. Kaya took forever to get ready for our wedding. I mean, 25 minutes, and I'm in a tux. It's like, let's go. I'm ready. Drop of a hat. I can go out. Kaya spent, I'm telling you, babe, you've aged like wine, I've aged like milk. But like that day, Kaya looking good, okay? (laughs) Okay. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> you make it happen. It's not me. Don't feed the bears. Okay, here's what I'm trying to convey: is that God says that like, like this new city, this new heaven that comes out of heaven, it's like a bride prepared for. It's like, ooh, looking good. What's under that veil? You know, like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, everybody? God's made a residence for you. He's got places for you. And, and we think it's so abstract, and it's not at all. So it's like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. But then also I want, I want to deal with the sea is gone. Now, the sea being gone, understand that the earth as it was created was not covered like it is today. with was 77% covered with water. It was not like that. We briefly mentioned this last week. I just want to fill you in, but the Bible says this very clearly. Before Noah's flood, you know, Noah the ark, right? Before Noah's flood. It had never rained. Why? Because there was an embryonic cell over the Earth, if you will, of water and ice. Now, it would have been pure, just like we talked about the the, the gold being pure, like you'd look up and it still just looked like the sky. But the conditions on Earth would be like a hyperbaric oxygen chamber, healing would happen quicker, block more of the UV rays, incredible things. And so where did all of the water of the ocean come from? Two things. Number one, we believe that an asteroid destroyed that embryonic cell, tilted the earth, and that contributed to some of the flood waters. Now, that's, that's wild stuff, but if you really get into the weeds on this, that's what we believe. The second thing is the Bible says that fountains of the deep sprang forth, meaning that there were areas of the earth that you could, it would look like terrain that is outside the church right now, but it was hollow under, underneath with underground lakes and it caved in under the pressure of this worldwide catastrophic event. Now, that to say, in the new heaven, you're talking about, and how does he do it? He does it by incinerating the heaven and the earth. All of that water is going to be evaporated back up. We'll have ice and water in the firmament again. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to have lakes, streams, and rivers, and even big lakes. I don't believe they had salt water. I think that the salt water is caused by the flood when all of that water is hidden and all of the different layers of sediment that we so clearly can see. Salt is soluble, and it it became part of everything. And the only reason why we have freshwater lakes, streams, and rivers is because of evaporation. And then number two, because there were massive, massive ice glaciers all over the face of the earth. In fact, this boggles me. Help me out with this one. They believe in an ice age but not in a flood. Anybody else want to break the news to him that ice is water? I mean, serious. You know what I'm saying? Leave it to me to like, make that a grand point. Furtick's like, punch somebody and tell them they got the blessing. And I'm like, evaporation! The ice age, you know? Okay, anyway, praise God. Back to the Bible. There's no place else to go. C.S. Lewis wrote in fiction, he wrote this, that he thought that the salt water was going to be sweet water. And that would bless my heart. But either way... Let me read this for you out of Revelation chapter 7, to verse 17. God shall lead people in heaven to living fountains of water. I don't need to go to the east coast and somebody's like, yeah, on the other side, the next nearest, it is Africa. I don't need that. All done. If you stand me in Grand Haven and you're like, on the other side of that's Wisconsin, that blows my mind. So think of it. It's not that you're going to lose the beautiful sunsets, the beaches, anything like that. They're There's still massive like bodies of water, right? But it's just not 77% of the earth covered with salt water. And I don't believe it will be salt water anymore. Now, in Ezekiel 47, I'll keep on dotting back in between Revelation 21 and Ezekiel 47, but it says this, and fishermen, you're going to love it. Ezekiel 47 talks about flowing water. He says this in 47.7. He says, quote, I saw great numbers of trees on each side of the river, end quote. He describes, quote, swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows, end quote. Swarms of living things. we got deer, we got antelope, we got, you know, the raccoons, things like that, okay? And then it says this, quote, fish will abound in the dead sea for its waters will become fresh. That's one of the big indicators I have that, that there will be no salinated water is that the Dead Sea, nothing lives in it right now. It's too salty. It will be fresh. And then this, here's the last quote, fishermen, get loud if you love it. Quote, fishermen will stand along the shores. Can I get an amen, somebody? Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I, I get it. Like Some people are like, well, wait a second. We're going to be killing stuff again and eating it? You better go to God's definition of what life actually is. See, the world is confused about what life is. God has a handle on it, okay? Like, if you go out and make yourself a bald eagle omelet, they will put you in prison. But this world will pay for your children to have an abortion and without your knowledge. That's wrong. Can I hear an amen, church? And so understand the way we define life is different. And so, Pastor Eric, I'm happy to say you can bring your lures to heaven. Okay, moving on. Animals existed, by the way, before the fall of man. Isaiah 65, the wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Wolf, lamb, lion, ox. like We got, we got a whole group there, and they represent different like, levels of carnivore or herbivore, don't they? Revelation 19 clearly talks about white horses that are in heaven. Revelation 5, 8 through 13, you can read about it, but it talks about four living creatures that are around the throne of God. There are animals in heaven. Revelation chapter 22 cites Ezekiel 47 in his vision of heaven. So listen to me. There are animals, and they are incorporated into heaven. Now, I want to show you this because some people have had an issue with with anybody saying that there's going to be animals or pets that are going to make it through into heaven. Let me help you with this. They would say, well, those animals, they didn't, like, die spiritually, so to speak. They didn't willfully sin. And Jesus didn't die to pay the price for animals. He didn't die for angels, fallen angels. He didn't die for, you know, any in the animal kingdom. He died for people. And so that's who's going to be in heaven. Point taken. But Adam and Eve had no children at the time of their fall, okay? When they ate the fruit, the whole world fell. The first catastrophic event to happen in the world was the fall of man. I talked a little bit about that last week. But the idea is, is that your teeth never started rotten until Adam ate of that fruit. Does that make sense? And so what we have to realize is the whole world started to do that. Lions didn't like hunt animals down to kill them before the fall. They ate with the ox. Okay, let me show it to you out of Romans chapter 8. I'm going to start with 22 and then go to 21. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, and the implication is for its future glorious state. And verse 21 says, The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of... Everybody say the word of the freedom and glory of the children of God. So here's, here's the idea, is that, yeah, they didn't willfully sin, and yes, he didn't die to save them, but just like they were um, a casualty of the fall of man and the law of sin and death came on this world the world's becoming redeemed and and the animal life within it is going to be redeemed it describes them eating together and not preying on each other that's pretty cool and it's going to happen when it's going to happen when we get into our freedom and glory this new heaven new earth altogether. now let's deal with it let's go there here's the big question will foo-foo be in heaven and I really want to take a hard stance on cats going to hell, but I can't. <laughs> or I'll say I'll, I'll restrain myself in this service. But will your dog, cat, some of you had horses or other types of animals that you really loved, will they be in, in heaven? And somebody says, well, they don't have a soul. I disagree. A soul is a mind, will, and emotion. A spirit is what makes you human. The breath of God in you is what makes you human, Right? But I tell you what, I've had in, inter, interactions with my dog that sometimes he stumped me. Like, I mean, he's bright, conniving. I have a golden doodle, and if they could talk, they would, they would rule the world. And so they have a soul, and that to say some of you guys have had moments with your animals that's just been really significant. Well, question, why would God set you up to be a person that would even like that type of thing if that's going to be completely divorced from you when you get to heaven? Right? I don't want my dog in heaven. Let me be very clear about that. Kaya can have him. But like, uh, <laughs> you wanted that dog. <laughs> and so, so here's the idea. When that dog or, or cat dies, they're not going to paradise. That's not what's happening. They're not going to heaven, and they're not going to hell. They are just dying. Okay? But, but... God does say in his word, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. I don't think God has a problem in the world with you doing that and saying, God, I'd like to have a certain cat or dog up there. I like it, But listen, you might have had more cats and dogs in your life than you can remember, so be careful. Be selective on the good ones and, and bring it to the great humane society in the sky or something like that, the other ones that you don't want to deal with. But, but can you have your pet in heaven? I don't see anything in scripture that would say you can't have your pet in heaven. And I'll tell you, with those souls, they're specific things. They're not like other ones. You can see that sometimes with wild animals. Am I, am I talking a little bit too goofy for you guys? Are you trekking with what I'm saying? I mean, you guys have lost pets you loved. You know, Bind it. Be like, God, I want them in heaven. Declawed. You know? <laughs> so easy. Um, so I believe, yes, there will, be, there will be animals in heaven, and that is both underwater animals and land animals. That means both extinct and alive. That means animals that you've seen on earth, and animals that are from heaven all together. I believe that we will swim in the water and not have to come up for a breath. We'll play with those animals in the deep. I do have a, a wish, God. I don't know. I have no scripture for it, but I want to fly like Peter Pan. That'd be phenomenal. <laughs> I believe that you'll scale mountains. I believe that you'll be able to play with God's creation, and I believe that you'll see beauty that you can't even imagine. Write it down. The new heaven and new earth will be more familiar in your current home, we think that we're going to get there and we're like, oh gosh, it's like a learning curve. What is this? I don't know. What's the traffic laws? You know, and I don't feel comfy. It's like you just moved into a new house the first night. I don't know. And by continually calling our eternal destiny a new earth, God is emphatically telling us that it will be earthy and familiar. Say amen. We assume that heaven is, <clears throat> pardon me. Heaven is, and I wrote this down from that book Heaven by Randy Elkhorn, but we assume that heaven is non-earth, unfamiliar, otherworldly, disembodied, that it's foreign, that we leave all of our favorite things behind, that heaven is static, it's neither uh, old like Eden or, or new and earthy, it's just strange and unknown. We assume that heaven has nothing to do, that we're just floating about on clouds, that there's no learning or discovery, instant and complete knowledge of everything and no interest anymore, that it's boring, that there's a loss of desire, absence of the terrible, yet the presence of very little that we're interested in at all. Those are the fears people have about heaven. But in reality, the heaven that I've portrayed to you so far and will continue to is this. It's a new earth. It's familiar and earthy. We are resurrected. In other words, we are embodied in this body. We're home with all the comforts and innovations of an infinitely creative God. We retain the good and find the best ahead. There is time and space as we understand it consciously. It is dynamic, not static. It's old and new. We serve God. We rule in the universe, and we have meaningful work and meaningful relationships. We have an eternity of learning and discovery It's fascinating, continuous fulfillment of of all of our desires, and we are in the presence of the wonderful, everything we desire and nothing that we don't. That's heaven. That's amazing. The moment that you set foot on the new earth, you're going to say, I was made to be here. This is exactly where I belong. This is how things should be. Now, the Bible shows us that heaven and this new earth is our home, our citizenship is there. When I think of my home, I think of my parents and my grandparents and my siblings. and I think of my friends and my dog, Simone, that I had when I was a little boy, Golden Retriever Lab Mix, great dog. And I think about my pet turtles that I had. And I think about nights where we would be dancing together to Frank Sinatra music. I think about holidays and memories I think about playing together and talking together and eating together and reading together and crying together and charting out the course of our life together. Friend, that is what heaven is like. That's what it's going to feel like. You'll be with the people that you love, and you'll love no one more than Jesus. Wow. A. A. Hodge is a theologian that wrote a book called Evangelical Theology. It's a little flowery, but I think you'll get the point. I want to read this quote to you. Heaven is the eternal home of the divine man, and all of the redeemed members of the human race must necessarily be thoroughly human in its structure, conditions, and activities. Its joys and occupations must be all rational, moral, emotional, voluntary, and active. There must be the exercise of all the faculties, the gratification of all the tastes, the development of all the latent capabilities, the realization of all ideals. The reason, the intellectual curiosity, the imagination, the aesthetic instincts, the holy affections, the social affinities, the inexhaustible resource of strength and power native to the human soul must find in heaven exercise and satisfaction. Heaven will prove the consummate flower and the fruit of the whole creation and of all the history of the universe. Wow. Now, how does it all kick off? I love how God, I love his style. This is very cool. The whole thing kicks off when we're raptured, when the, when the dead in Christ rise, it kicks off with a meal. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. How many of y'all know church folk, when something happens, good or bad, they don't know what to do, they either give money or they cook? I love that about us. <laughs> don't stop somebody when they're doing that. That's great. And so, so we're kicking this whole thing off with the marriage supper of the Lamb, and this is my only way that I can, like, base this theory. I think God's Italian because it's a seven-year feast. Oh, did y'all feel the Holy Ghost when I said that? Jesus, e'baha, yeah. Anyway, like, feast, seven years. Can you imagine the spread? Can you imagine not feeling like what you're going to feel like this Thursday? Ooh, I, think I ate too much, you know, like, and we're going to be with all the people that we love and your grandparents. And how about this? You know how, like, parents, you got a stake in, in your kids, but how many of y'all grandparents in here? And you got kind of a stake in your kids' kids. Like, sometimes it's better. I'm hoping, you know. And, but think about it. You've got loved ones that never knew you hundreds of years before you. Don't you think they have an invested interest in you? Wow. It's going to take seven years to get to know them all. Maybe you're Italian. You can read about the marriage supper of the Lamb in Matthew 8, Matthew 22, Matthew 25, Luke 13, Luke 14, and Revelation 19. Uh, Contrary to popular opinion, we do not become angels. That is not what we become at all. Angels are a certain type of created being, and they have a celestial or spiritual body. We are humans. We have a tripartite being. Very different, and that means also this. You're not going to have wings when you get to heaven. I'm sorry if you've been like holding out on Red Bull and... like excited for it, but you're not going to have wings when you get to heaven. There are some people playing harps in heaven. You can read about that, but not everybody. There's a lot of other instruments that are there, and uh, scripture does not picture those in heaven sitting around in clouds. You'll be in your body. Yeah, I I can't wait to be able to hug my grandma. She used to tickle my back, and I used to be in Bible college and run home and Jump across to her recliner and be like, Tickle my back. 19 years old, very mature. <laughs> I used to say, Grandma, why are your hands so soft? She said, Sandpaper. She'd tickle my back. <laughs> I think that was crazy, but I can't wait to hug my nephew, Michael. Come on. Can't wait to see my dad. Your same body will be in heaven, not a different one. You'll be able to feel and touch. And smell and again this world is subservient to the eternal world I'm convinced that you'll experience heaven with more than the five senses alone and to give a very limited explanation for that you will smell color you will taste music You'll see emotions. I think that when John sees gold streets, but then he looks at uh, they're transparent. I think that he's seen beyond what something is. He's seen in, in, in multi dimensional ways. It, it's going to be incredible. Somebody asked, Pastor Joe, will we be ourselves? That's under the presupposition that you're yourself right now. Imagine being in a world without pretense. Will we know each other again? Imagine a world where you can actually be yourself through and through. Will we know each other? That's under the presupposition that you know anybody for real now. Yes, you will know each other in heaven finally. We won't really know each other until we get there. Now, as I talk about some of these things, I'm a pastor, I'm a shepherd. I can feel some of the things you're going through. Some of you guys, it's so encouraging, and some of you it makes you a little anxious. It's like, oh my gosh. And then when you hear, I mean, really, every evangelical leader, many people in the Orthodox Church, when you see the the, the the broad share of Christian leadership tell you, Jesus is coming back. Mark it. It makes things a little queasy sometimes. And I get that. I understand. It's like a lot of transition. I get it's all good, but like what's gonna happen, the unknown. Would it help you to know that Jesus had moments where he felt that way? Jesus Christ. Let me read it for you. It was on the night he was betrayed. John 12. Jesus is praying. Now my soul is troubled. Do you know it's not a sin to go through sometimes where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm just kind of messed up. Doesn't mean that you missed anything. It means that you're alive. Amen. My soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He's like, get me out of this. Is that where we're going to go? But then what does Jesus do? He falls back on his training No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Listen to me, Christian. I get it. There's some transition happening. What's it going to look like? I don't know all the answers for that. I can paint a pretty good picture from the word of God. But hear me. You were born for such a time as this. And as discouraged as you might be, when you watch the news and you see some of the crazy things that are happening out there and some of the moral decay that's happening in our world, listen to me, you were made for this time. You get a vote in how the ship is going to sail. And so we can't, we can't hate some of these things we see in the world. We can't get anxious and want to go and hide, hey, rapture's coming, ready or not, here I come. And whether or not it comes in my lifetime or not, and I believe it will. I don't know if my kids will see 18. But whether he doesn't come for 200 years after my death, and it's not the end times today, it's your end times. Your life is a vapor. It's going by quicker than you think. What do we do with all this, Pastor Joe? We don't satisfy curiosity. Three things. Write them down quickly. I've got to get you out of here. Number one, show up. Hebrews 10, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Nobody would disagree with that, but but, but how are we going to see that? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. Put that scripture up there, guys. And so much more as you see the day approaching wow right like jesus jesus died to build something and it was his church and I get it, stuff's going on, stuff's happening, and, and those public schools are going to keep your kids busy, busy, busy with homework and extracurriculars and all that. Like, we had one thing to do when I was in school. They got 150 and, and the pressure that's on them, and there's so many really good, reasonable reasons to keep them out of this place, but the Bible's telling you it's going to happen that way. And there's something about the kids that are going to be back there and new kids or sitting next to your family in this room that you need to be around them because they got something that's going to unlock something in you. That we got to get together. Hey, this is my church too. Yeah. I got to come here and I got to worship. There's not one Sunday since we planted this church. I haven't worshiped my heart out in that front row. We can't, we can't let it go. And it's easy and it's reasonable, isn't it? That's the deception right there. It's reasonable. Right. Well, I just got to do the, we got to stop. I'm not saying you can't take a vacation. Lord Almighty, take your vacation. That's not my battle. But listen, as your pastor, i got to tell you, you want to see some of those great things happen, the greatest moments of our lives. God is going to speak to us in this place. This month, uh, this coming month, is Christmas, and we looked at the calendar, and (laughs) Christmas Day is a Saturday, the 25th, and then the 26th is on a Sunday. And I looked at that, and I looked at the team, and I said, hey, if I don't want to be here, they don't want to be here. And They laugh just like you're laughing. <laughs> and so what we did was we said, hey, we're going to move our weekend services from Sunday morning to Friday, and we're going to have Christmas Eve services. We've done them before at New Chapel, and it is magic. It is going to be incredible. In fact, guys, go and throw up that slide for Christmas Eve here at New Chapel, the 24th. And we're still going to have two services at 4 o'clock and at 6 o'clock. We're going to have child care However, we encourage you to bring your elementary kids in with you to the sanctuary so it can be a little bit more of a family affair. Nursery and young preschool, you're welcome to put them back there. We will have people. But here's the whole idea with all of this is that we want to celebrate Jesus in a big way and give y'all permission to sleep in on the 26th. You got parties and in-laws and outlaws and everything in between to go to. I get it. And so the 24th, Christmas Eve service, it is going to be amazing here at this campus. And that's one thing that I'm saying, like, hey, show up for this. But, but listen, we need, to, we need to give like Jesus is coming back. We need to serve like Jesus is coming back. We need to get on teams. I would encourage you. Guys, listen, we're getting by all right without you. But we'd be so much better off if we had you serving on the team. Go back and grab up one of those team up cards and those little, those little card boxes in the back of the room. Grab one of those. Join the team. You say, Pastor Joe, I'm kind of rough around the edges. I, I, all those teams got godly people. I'm, listen, I'm their Facebook friends. They do crazy stuff too. Like I'm not giving you a license to kill, but you're going to join a very real team of people, of <laughs> tremendously real group, of, and they love God. They're not perfect. They're forgiven. But they get it, and they're going to share the freedom they have. Join the team. Let's give like it matters. Hey, how about this one? Let's vote like Jesus is coming back. How about a little louder than that? (laughs) Get Beelzebub, Ahab, and Jezebel out of that place. Number two, stand up. Speaking of which, Luke 21. When these things begin to take, what things? In-time stuff, the rumblings, the groanings, this bad, this patina on the world. When these things begin to take place, stand up. Lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And there is work that we need to be, it has to happen. We're better together. Say amen, somebody. Number three, look up. Look up. Luke 21, 28, when these things begin to come to pass, look up, lift your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. It's almost been like a year. I can't watch the news like I used to. I used to have an app on my Apple TV, an app on my phone. I, I used to have the iHeartRadio going like 24-7. Like I had to be in the know what's going on. And I got to tell you, is this world has begun to wilt, I can't watch it. In fact, this week I probably watched it more than I have. Anybody else got a witness in the house? You know what I'm talking about. I can't do it. The world is suffering. It's eating itself alive. It's hurting There's decay on it. There's so much bad news. And I've not made myself ignorant to what's going on. I just know my part to play in the solution. But I can't look to all of that stuff to find peace. I have to look up in the midst of all of this. This world is decaying. And I have no indication that it's going to get much different before the return of Christ. So I have to be a light in a dark place. I have to serve like it matters and give like it matters and encourage people and spur one another on to good works. And I have to believe that God's greatest works are not yet done, that we will see the glory of God in our lifetime, that, that this isn't going to end just with me. We're going to see Jesus and, and, and that I'm going to look up. My focus is going to be up. It's not, I'm not going to gauge my actions based on the world. These men can't control their next breath. I'm going to gauge my actions based on the man, Christ Jesus. I'm going to base what I do, how I think, how I plan out, on what he has for my life. Say amen, somebody. We have a different king. We have a higher law, a different citizenship, and we have to set our sights on a life beyond all of this. Hebrews 11 says that God's people desire a better country. I'm a patriot, but hear me. (sighs) Patriots, there's a better country A heavenly one. Better than what this world could offer. And some of the angst we feel and and some of the melancholy is, oh gosh, this stuff is starting to take place, I'm seeing it. Could it be that it's misdiagnosed? C.S. Lewis puts it this way, and I'll wrap up. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world world nothing is as misdiagnosed as a homesickness for heaven we think we want stuff and sex and drugs and a condo in hawaii and a cabin in the woods and money and the things and listen to me it is a vacancy in your heart that will never be fulfilled by those things it is deception to think that 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 this hunger will ever be taken care of what you really want is a person his name is jesus what you really want is a place that never ends. And that's why you can feel homesick even at home. I remember going down to Bible college and feeling like this is great, but I'm not home. And then going home and feeling like I'm not home. I remember being a youth pastor on the east side of the state. And it's like, this is great. I'm not home. I remember getting to Grand Rapids. And I'm like, I'm in my sweet spot. And it feels like home. Like I'm, listen, I'm not going anywhere. But this world is not my own. And when I got to that level, and it's like, God, you have more that I'm actually yearning for this earth to be in the condition that you made it to be. Friend, heaven is your home. Your citizenship is there. And God's greatest works are ahead. Now, I'm extending the series. I'm excited to say. Anybody else excited about that? There's... <laughs> There's no way we can get to all of this. And so we're going to go into the first week of December and we're going to make it a Q&A service. And so next week we'll have some sort of system out there to be able to collect your questions. Stump me. I dare you. Let's find out great things about God together. But we're going to have a Q&A service the first week in December. Next week's going to be great. We're going to continue this vein. There's more. Like if you could even imagine, there's so much more. We're going to bring this across. It's going to be phenomenal. Answer questions that are going to blow your mind. Bring somebody and come expect it. It's going to be amazing. But before we press on with everything and end the service, we've got some family business to do. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for meeting us in this place. God, I thank you for your spirit. God, I thank you that you're moving amongst people. You set eternity in the heart of men. And so, God, there's something about this that when I'm preaching, there's a yes, yes, yes. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's confirming the word. And God, I thank you that there's people in the sound of my voice right now. They love this type of message, but God, they don't really know you. Help me to find them. If you came into my auditorium today and you're like, like, I agree with everything, but I don't really know if I have a relationship with God, or like, I, 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 it's exciting, I don't know if I get it all, but like, I don't have a relationship with God, don't leave without that settled. Don't, don't leave something so important as eternity on the line. How do, how do you experience all of that? Jesus came, died on a cross with your name on it, and made a way where there was no way. He's the one that makes it so you can go to heaven with him. But eternal life doesn't start when you die. It starts the moment you accept Christ. So if you're in here today and you don't have a relationship with God, it's by calling Jesus Lord. What does that word mean? It means calling him boss, calling him God. It means you're saying, admitting you're not such a good God over your own life. Church, I want to pray this with those that are praying it today. Let's all pray this out loud. Say, dear heavenly Father, Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sins so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess. Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Put your spirit in me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give it up for those people that accepted. Hey, louder than that, come on, somebody. (laughs) Now, if you came in here and you prayed that prayer and you feel like today was your day, you got to let us know. Now, I'm not going to call you down to the front, but that same connection card that visitors are going to be filling out and those people that have prayer requests, I need you to fill it out. I'm going to send you a letter talking about next steps that God has for you and your faith, big things, his greatest works in your life have yet to come. I need to send that to you so you don't wake up on Monday morning and say, I'm a Christian, now what? And so listen, if you came with somebody and you peeked during the prayer, you know that they prayed, get them to fill out one of those connection cards. We'd love to send you that information. One last time, church. Let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Stand up on your feet. Awesome. Hey, y'all getting anything out of the series so far? I'm glad that you are. A couple of announcements before we leave. We are having worship tryouts. If you play drums, guitar, accordion, I, I don't know, tin whistle, welcome home. We need you. And so we're having two audition times. One's on Thursday, December 2nd, and one's going to be on December 5th after the 11 o'clock service. Listen to me now. I need you to show up. And so if you have a musical gift, a talent like that, please, please pray about it. In fact, let me just help you. God said, try out. Show up. We need you on the team. You don't know how bad. And guys, we have a very faithful worship team. In fact, can we just thank them for their faithfulness? But listen, I'm talking to David Lang. He's leading worship today, and he's taken the 12th off, and it'll be the first time he's missed in two years. And so, gang, you've got gifts. Yeah, great job being faithful, right? He wouldn't tell you that. But at the same time, I don't want to kill him. And so we need you to try out. Join the worship team, please. Also, next week, everybody say next week is child dedications. Uh, please do sign up for that. But I do have a little hint for you. If you don't sign up, we'll still dedicate them. But it's going to be next week. Sign up over at Guest Services. And then finally, uh, we we want to pack this place out on Christmas Eve. Make sure that you come. You invite people. I need people to help serve. But it's going to be a real easy thing. And not 60 minutes like my 60 minutes, 60 minutes like Pastor Brian's 60 minutes. Like 59 minutes, 59 seconds. Okay? Quick in and out. Praise the Lord. Let's go like open presence, Okay? So, Don't miss that day. Babe, come up here. Let's pray for the people. Y'all give it up for my bride. Well adorned. I love this. Bring someone with you next week. If you've ever brought anybody to church, bring them next week. It's only going to get better. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, as you go, see you next week. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.